Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue Gorgias, Part 5 In response to Polis's question, Socrates says that he would prefer to suffer injustice than do it. Then would you rather suffer than do injustice? I should not like either, but if I must choose between them, I would rather suffer than do. Then you would not wish to be a tyrant? Not if you mean by tyranny what I mean. I mean, as I said before, the power of doing whatever seems good to you in a state, killing, banishing, doing in all things as you like. Well then, my illustrious friend, when I have said my say, do you reply to me? Suppose that I go into a crowded agora and take a dagger under my arm. Polis, I say to you, I have just acquired rare power and become a tyrant. For if I think that any of these men whom you see ought to be put to death, the man whom I have a mind to kill is as good as dead. And if I am disposed to break his head or tear his garment, he will have his head broken or his garment torn in an instant. Such is my great power in this city. And if you do not believe me and I show you the dagger, you would probably reply, Socrates, in that sort of way anyone may have great power. He may burn any house which he pleases, and the docks and triremes of the Athenians, and all their other vessels, whether public or private. But can you believe that this mere doing, as you think best, is great power? Certainly not such doing as this. But can you tell me why you disapprove of such a power? I can. Why, then? Why, because he who did as you say would be certain to be punished. And punishment is an evil? Certainly. And you would admit, once more, my good sir, that great power is a benefit to a man if his actions turn out to his advantage, and that this is the meaning of great power. And if not, then his power is an evil and is no power. But let us look at the matter in another way. Do we not acknowledge that the things of which we were speaking, the infliction of death and exile, and the deprivation of property are sometimes a good and sometimes not a good? Certainly. About that you and I may be supposed to agree? Yes. Tell me then, when do you say that they are good and when that they are evil? What principle do you lay down? I would rather, Socrates, that you should answer as well as ask that question. Well, Polis, since you would rather have the answer from me, I say that they are good when they are just, and evil when they are unjust. You are hard of refutation, Socrates, but might not a child refute that statement? Then I shall be very grateful to the child, and equally grateful to you if you will refute me and deliver me from my foolishness, and I hope that refute me you will, and not weary of doing good to a friend. Yes, Socrates, said Polus and I need not go far or appeal to antiquity. Events which happened only a few days ago are enough to refute you, and to prove that many men who do wrong are happy. What events? You see, I presume, that Archelaus, the son of Perdiccas, is now the ruler of Macedonia? At any rate, I hear that he is. And do you think that he is happy or miserable? 
I cannot say, Polis, for I have never had any acquaintance with him. And cannot you tell at once, and without having an acquaintance with him, whether a man is happy? Most certainly not. Then clearly, Socrates, you would say that you did not even know whether the great king was a happy man? And I should speak the truth, for I do not know how he stands in the matter of education and justice. What? And does all happiness consist in this? Yes, indeed, Polus, that is my doctrine. The men and women who are gentle and good are also happy, as I maintain, and the unjust and evil are miserable. Then, according to your doctrine, the said Archelaus is miserable? Yes, my friend, if he is wicked. That he is wicked I cannot deny, for he had no title at all to the throne which he now occupies, he being only the son of a woman who was the slave of Alsatus, the brother of Perdiccas. He himself, therefore, in strict right, was the slave of Alsatus, and if he had meant to do rightly, he would have remained his slave, and then, according to your doctrine, he would have been happy. But now he is unspeakably miserable, for he has been guilty of the greatest crimes. In the first place, he invited his uncle and master, Alcestus, to come to him, under the pretense that he would restore to him the throne which Perdiccas had usurped, and after entertaining him and his son Alexander, who was his own cousin, and nearly of an age with him, and making them drunk, he threw them into a wagon and carried them off by night, and slew them, and got both of them out of the way. And when he had done all this wickedness, he never discovered that he was the most miserable of all men, and was very far from repenting. Shall I tell you how he showed his remorse? He had a younger brother, a child of seven years old, who was the legitimate son of Perdiccas and to him of right the kingdom belonged. Archelaus, however, had no mind to bring him up as he ought and restore the kingdom to him. That was not his notion of happiness. But not long afterwards he threw him into a well and drowned him, and declared to his mother Cleopatra that he had fallen in while running after a goose and been killed. And now, as he is the greatest criminal of all the Macedonians, he may be supposed to be the most miserable and not the happiest of them. And I dare say that there are many Athenians, and you would be at the head of them, who would rather be any other Macedonian than Archelaus. I praised you at first, Polis, for being a rhetorician rather than a reasoner, and this, as I suppose, is the sort of argument with which you fancy that a child might refute me, and by which I stand refuted when I say that the unjust man is not happy. But my good friend, where is the refutation? I cannot admit a word which you have been saying. That is because you will not, for you surely must think as I do. Not so, my simple friend, but because you will refute me after the manner which rhetoricians practice in courts of law. For there the one party think that they refute the other when they bring forward a number of witnesses of good repute in proof of their allegations, and their adversary has only a single one, or none at all. But this kind of proof is of no value where truth is the aim. A man may often be sworn down by a multitude of false witnesses who have a great air of respectability. And in this argument, nearly every one, Athenian and stranger alike, would be on your side, if you should bring witnesses in disproof of my statement. You may, if you will, summon Nicias the son of Niceratus 
and let his brothers, who gave the row of tripods which stand in the precincts of Dionysus, come with him. Or you may summon Aristocrates, the son of Scellius, who is the giver of that famous offering which is at Delphi. Summon, if you will, the whole house of Pericles, or any other great Athenian family whom you choose. They will all agree with you. I only am left alone and cannot agree, for you do not convince me. Although you produce many false witnesses against me in the hope of depriving me of my inheritance, which is the truth. But I consider that nothing worth speaking of will have been effected by me unless I make you the one witness of my words, nor by you unless you make me the one witness of yours, no matter about the rest of the world. For there are two ways of refutation, one which is yours and that of the world in general, but mine is of another sort. Let us compare them, and see in what they differ. For indeed we are at issue about matters which to know is honorable, and not to know disgraceful. To know or not to know happiness and misery, that is the chief of them. And what knowledge can be nobler, or what ignorance more disgraceful than this? And therefore I will begin by asking you whether you do not think that a man who is unjust and doing injustice can be happy, seeing that you think Archelaus unjust, and yet happy? May I assume this to be your opinion? Certainly. But I say that this is an impossibility. Here is one point about which we are at issue. Very good. And do you mean to say also that if he meets with retribution and punishment, he will still be happy? Certainly not. In that case, he will be most miserable. On the other hand, if the unjust be not punished, then, according to you, he will be happy? Yes. But in my opinion, Polis, the unjust or doer of unjust actions is miserable in any case. More miserable, however, if he be not punished and does not meet with retribution, and less miserable if he be punished and meets with retribution at the hands of gods and men. You are maintaining a strange doctrine, Socrates. I shall try to make you agree with me, O oh my friend, for as a friend I regard you. Then these are the points at issue between us, are they not? I was saying that to do is worse than to suffer injustice? Exactly so. And you said the opposite. Yes. I said also that the wicked are miserable, and you refuted me. By Zeus I did. In your own opinion, Polis. Yes, and I rather suspect that I was in the right. You further said that the wrongdoer is happy if he be unpunished. Certainly. And I affirm that he is most miserable, and that those who are punished are less miserable. Are you going to refute this proposition also? A proposition which is harder of refutation than the other, Socrates. Say rather, Polus, impossible, for who can refute the truth? What do you mean? If a man is detected in an unjust attempt to make himself a tyrant, and when detected, is racked, mutilated, has his eyes burned out, and after having had all sorts of great injuries inflicted on him, and having seen his wife and children suffer the like, is at last impaled or tarred and burned alive, 
Will he be happier than if he escape and become a tyrant, and continue all through life doing what he likes, and holding the reins of government, the envy and admiration both of citizens and strangers? Is that the paradox which, as you say, cannot be refuted? There again, noble Polis, you are raising hobgoblins instead of refuting me. Just now you are calling witnesses against me. But please to refresh my memory a little. Did you say, quote, in an unjust attempt to make himself a tyrant? Yes, I did. Then I say that neither of them will be happier than the other. Neither he who unjustly acquires a tyranny, nor he who suffers in the attempt. For of the two miserables, one cannot be the happier, but that he who escapes and becomes a tyrant is the more miserable of the two. Do you laugh, Polis? Well, this is a new kind of refutation. When anyone says anything, instead of refuting him, to laugh at him. But do you not think, Socrates, that you have been sufficiently refuted when you say that which no human being will allow? Ask the company. Oh, Polis, I am not a public man. And only last year, when my tribe were serving as Pratanis, and it became my duty as their president to take the votes, there was a laugh at me, because I was unable to take them. And as I failed then, you must not ask me to count the suffrages of the company now. But if, as I was saying, you have no better argument than numbers, let me have a turn, and do you make trial of the sort of proof which, as I think, is required. For I shall produce one witness only of the truth of my words, and he is the person with whom I am arguing. His suffrage I know how to take, but with the many I have nothing to do, and do not even address myself to them. May I ask, then, whether you will answer in turn, and have your words put to the proof? For I certainly think that I and you and every man do really believe that to do is a greater evil than to suffer injustice, and not to be punished than to be punished. And I should say neither I nor any man. Would you yourself, for example, suffer rather than do injustice? Yes, and you too. I or any man would. <laughs> Quite the reverse. Neither you nor I nor any man. But will you answer? To be sure I will, for I am curious to hear what you can have to say. Tell me then, and you will know, and let us suppose that I am beginning at the beginning. Which of the two, Polis, in your opinion, is the worst, to do injustice or to suffer? I should say that suffering was worst. And which is the greater disgrace? Answer, to do, and the greater disgrace is the greater evil? Certainly not. I understand you to say, if I am not mistaken, that the honorable is not the same as the good, or the disgraceful as the evil? Certainly not. Let me ask a question of you, Polis. When you speak of beautiful things, such as bodies, colors, figures, sounds, institutions, do you not call them beautiful in reference to some standard? Bodies, for example, are beautiful in proportion as they are useful, or as the sight of them gives pleasure to the spectators. Can you give any other account of personal beauty? 
I cannot. And would you say of figures, or colors generally, that they were beautiful, either by reason of the pleasure which they give, or of their use, or of both? Yes, I should. And you would call sounds and music beautiful for the same reason? I should. Laws and institutions also have no beauty in them except in so far as they are useful, or pleasant, or both. I think not. And may not the same be said of the beauty of knowledge? To be sure, Socrates, and I very much approve of your measuring beauty by the standard of pleasure and utility. And deformity or disgrace may be equally measured by the opposite standard of pain and evil? Certainly. Then when of two beautiful things one exceeds in beauty, the measure of the excess is to be taken in one or both of these. That is to say, in pleasure or utility or both. Very true. And of two deformed things, that which exceeds in deformity or disgrace exceeds either in pain or evil. Must it not be so? Yes. But then again, what was the observation which you just now made about doing and suffering wrong? Did you not say that suffering wrong was more evil and doing wrong more disgraceful? I did. Then if doing wrong is more disgraceful than suffering, the more disgraceful must be more painful and must exceed in pain or in evil or both. Does not that also follow? Of course. First, then, let us consider whether the doing of injustice exceeds the suffering in the consequent pain. Do the injurers suffer more than the injured? No, Socrates, certainly not. Then they do not exceed in pain? No. But if not in pain, then not in both? Certainly not. Then they can only exceed in the other. Yes. That is to say, in evil. True. Then doing injustice will have an excess of evil, and will therefore be a greater evil than suffering injustice. Clearly. But have not you and the world already agreed that to do injustice is more disgraceful than to suffer? Yes. And that is now discovered to be more evil? True. And would you prefer a greater evil or a greater dishonor to a less one? Answer, Polis, and fear not, for you will come to no harm if you nobly resign yourself into the healing hand of the argument, as to a physician without shrinking, and either say yes or no to me. I should say no. Would any other man prefer a greater to a less evil? No, not according to this way of putting the case, Socrates. Then I said truly, Polis, that neither you nor I nor any man would rather do than suffer injustice. For to do injustice is the greater evil of the two. That is the conclusion, said Polis. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>